The reading this morning is from uh, Luke, chapter four, chapter four, verses 38 to 44. Jesus heals many. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Okay, I'm just going to invite Sylvia up, who's just going to pray before we begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning to hear what you have to say to us, but mainly for us to worship you and give you our love. Lord, I just pray for Tim now as he brings your word to us. We thank you for his preparation and just pray that you will anoint him and you will refresh us as we listen to him and speak right into our hearts, we pray. Be with him, Lord, and bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Syl. Okay, we're going to learn some Hebrew. Please be aware that I've always had a real issue with uh, Hebrew because um, I am not particularly gifted at English. Uh, I have no idea of Welsh, and I failed drastically at German and French when I was at school. So I've always avoided trying to touch on any other language um, because it leaves me looking silly. But I want us just to work on this one word a second together, just so as I refer to it, I'm not the only one in their head who's trying to make letters seem like they should be in the order. So the word is tohu abahu. So if we can all just say out loud, tohu abahu. Okay, so when I refer to it, now people in their heads at least have it sounding right the first time, because the more I say it, the less chance of it sounding the same is going to occur. We read in Genesis 1, this account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was tohu abahu. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The words I substituted were formless and empty. Because that's how we've translated this tohu abahu into. We've translated it into formless and empty. Now, I'd love to say that I did all of this research myself, but I turned to people who are far more intelligent than I. And actually, a far more accurate description of tohu abahu would be a wild wilderness. God created the earth and it was a wild wilderness, raw, unformed, potential abounding from it, but there was nothing to it. And this is where God starts. He starts with this unformed thing, this wildness, and then he spends five days creating and crafting. Developing, designing, 
bringing division between the water and the land, light and darkness. And then somewhere towards the end, humanity enters from stage left. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There is so much in that section, so much we could focus on. But I want us to concentrate on one section because for me it leads into something that's really on my heart. I know it's on Pastor Mark's heart and it's something that we feel as a church we want to begin to look towards. But this first section I want us to focus on is this idea of our calling. To fill the earth and to subdue it. To fill and to subdue. The earth was this wild wasteland. I kind of imagine the opening credits to a John Wayne film or something where the camera pans across a desert and it's just raw. But we've got this wild wasteland. And in amongst all of this, God gave us rule. And he gave us this command to subdue the wilderness and to build something within that wasteland. As we play it forward... We're flying past the naming of the animals, the destruction of Jericho, the birth of the Savior, the invention of the wheel, the Industrial Revolution, the development of the telephone, to where we are today. Humanity's done a fairly good job of creating and crafting. But I want to challenge us this morning, and I wanted to use that Genesis point as a reference for us to begin, that first occasion that God calls us to anything. And I want us to consider this challenge that I believe for most of us, if not all of us, that we are closer to Tohu Abahu, a wild wasteland, than we could ever imagine. I think for ourselves, we are closer to that wild wasteland than maybe we want to admit in our lives. How? How can it be wild? If you're anything like me, I have a Google calendar. It's synced to the rest of my family and it's color-coded. I am more in control of my time than I've ever been. I have a watch that connects to my phone. It lets me know that I have a text message before my phone knows that I have a text message. I can speak to my friends all over the world via Skype. And occasionally I'll remember that there's a time difference and I won't wake them up at 3 a.m. in the morning. How is the world we live in wild now? Praise the Lord for IKEA flat pack. Because my house now looks like the inside of a Swedish genius's brain. And better than that, while I was purchasing it, I got meatballs. Which is possibly the only reason to shop in Ikea. I have Amazon Prime, so now I don't even have to wait three days for delivery. Next day delivery, perfect. I now use a Kindle, so I don't even have to wait for books. If I get bored, I can pick a new one. There, in the moment, on the spot. I'm sure many of you have many different things in your lives that allow you to be equipped, to be prepared, to be engaged. So ask that question, how is our life 
wild. For many of us, life feels tame and like we're in control. And for me, this is where the problem lies. This is where the problem is for so many of us. Because actually in the chaos and the wilderness of a digital age, hyperspeeds, unlimited broadband, camera phones, 24-hour connection, verses like the one I'm about to read us should terrify us. Verses that I'm about, like the one I'm about to read should make us think that all of the things I've listed, all the ways we're engaged in the world, aren't necessarily the best thing for us. Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So I can say this personally, I'm sure for each of us individually there's going to be things that we can say this over, but my color-coded Google Calendar, smartwatch, Skype calls, Ikea sofa, Amazon Prime, all of it bring me closer to gaining the world, which increases the risk of forfeiting my soul. Every step closer to gaining more of the world takes us closer to that wilderness that God depicted so accurately in the beginning. The further into the world I go, often the further from God I find myself, and the more I risk forfeiting my soul. Please hear me, this isn't an anti-technology kind of message. I am deeply engaged in technology. I rely on it. It's the only way me and Mark have any idea about what we talked about two days ago, is for us to have notes and things like that. So this isn't me bashing technology. Please understand that. That original command in Genesis to create, to be creative, to craft, to design culture, to make with our hands. Technology is a wonderful example of the skill set of humanity. But we read that Genesis passage, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Be fruitful, increase in number wasn't simply just go and make more humans. That Genesis account isn't simply just go and reproduce. That Genesis account is so much more. It's that creativity, that development, that flourish as humanity. It's what God called them to, to flourish as humanity. So I do not think technology is the enemy. I do think in this day and age, though, it helps to create wilderness. It can begin to create that emptiness. So this morning's message is going to focus on a few practical ways that we can overcome it. A few ways I think God encourages us to. But I want us to quickly answer this question. Why is taming so important? Why is one of the first things God calls us to, to tame? The first thing that's key, and this was huge for me as I kind of developed and discovered this, is God was not sat above Adam. God was not sat above Adam. It wasn't some scientist running some crazy experiment. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was present. This was a relationship. It was a partnership. It was something to do together. It wasn't about him just setting us off and leaving us be. This was about doing something together. God and humanity in partnership.
And that leads us to this question, why then with this partnership was God keen on developing? Why did God want to move away from wildness? Why was emptiness such a problem? I believe it's bad because in wildness we find ourselves more and more emotionally and spiritually asleep. In that wilderness, we find ourselves less and less connected to what's going on around us. Economists have started to name some of the things we're talking about. They're ahead of the game in many ways. They now call the wilderness that we live in the attention economy. If you are producing something, you are producing for an attention economy. You know you need to grab someone's attention, and then you need to get them addicted to whatever it is you're producing, If you have a phone, I promise you that probably today there was a thousand apps released for your phone. You might not engage in all of them, but every single one of them wants your attention and wants you hooked into what it is. Everything wants our attention. Everything's fighting for it. And the problem is it's having an effect on us. This is why I think we can genuinely say we're in danger of moving back towards that wilderness. Linda Stone, who's a researcher for Microsoft, puts it this way. Humanity is in a continual partial attention cycle. A continual partial attention cycle. Sounds very posh. Sadly, it means something very damning. That is that humanity now is failing to ever be fully present. We are failing to ever be wholly in the moment. We find ourselves in and out of it. And in doing so, we run the risk of our human side fading. And as our human side fades, the relationship with God fades. And as that fades, everything begins to break down. We return to a wild wilderness. We become unaware of what the Spirit's doing, unaware of what our neighbors are doing. Because we're so connected in, we are more disconnected than ever. For some of you, this won't be applicable, but how many of us check Facebook as a natural reaction in our day? For others, it could be anything. But how often do we just check something? Even if we've just checked it a moment ago. If you're like me and go for coffee, I encourage you just to sit for five minutes and watch how frequently people amongst other people are on their phones. We are losing the connection with humanity. As I said, there's many good things that come with the tide of technology, but there are some huge risks, huge risks if we're not aware of them. Our attention span as humanity has dropped from 12 and a half seconds to eight and a half seconds. Now that means not that after eight and a half seconds of me speaking, all of you had switched off, possible, but not necessarily true. What it means is if something hasn't got our attention in eight and a half seconds, we will dismiss it. So for those of you that have the internet, if you're like me, you click on a link to open a page. If that page hasn't opened within eight and a half seconds, you probably will give up. If you're waiting for a YouTube video to load and it clicks over eight and a half seconds in your head for loading, you probably will never watch that video. Twelve and a half seconds wasn't great, but eight and a half seconds is bad. We are losing our ability to have attention. So we find that whilst there's this wild hive of activity around us, 
so much more happening, so much more available to us. As the dust of it settles, as our days start to be numbered, as the evenings settle in, we realize that we are stood in a wasteland with not much to show for it other than a very well-organized calendar. We run the risk of letting our human side fade. The God relationship fade. This was a partnership. It was a relationship. It's what this is all about. In doing so, we find ourselves unable to be fully present. We're unable to be fully present of ourselves, to other people. And most importantly, we become unable to ever be fully present with God. We are finding ourselves closer and closer to this wasteland. As I studied this, as I spent some time, I've read a couple of books that engage with this idea. There is a desire within me to be present again. I've had a really difficult fortnight because normally I prepare a message and deliver it on the Sunday and then I can kind of just deal with it with everyone else. Whereas I've had a fortnight of being consciously aware of how frequently do I do the things that I'm talking about. How often do I struggle to be in a room of people and not engage in something that isn't present? So I want to break the cycle. I would love to be, as we've talked about on a few Sundays, I want to be a culture rebel. I want to be one of those people that does things differently to show people another way. I think practically these days that's getting easier. So we're going to focus on how. How do we break the mold? How do we step out of what this world is just making everyday normal? As I said, please hear, this is not about anti-culture, this, uh, sorry, technology. This is about deepening our relationship with God. So I want us to look at Jesus. Now, if you're like me, when I say we're going to look at Jesus, you have a flag that goes off in your head. Jesus was the son of God. He was perfect. Life was easy for him. Of course Jesus is a good example because Jesus couldn't fail. All the other things we like to throw to make it easier for ourselves. That's what we're doing. We like to put Jesus on a pedestal so that when he challenges us, we can say, but it was easy for you. Of course I'm going to fall short. Jesus, being Jesus, had it covered. John 14, 12, Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Read that again. Whoever believes in me will do the works I, Jesus, have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. If you want to dismiss Jesus as being perfect, that's great, by all means. But listen to his words. The things I've done, you'll do. And more. And more. So when we use Jesus as an example, I think we're in a pretty good place. Jesus, Son of God, there at the beginning, healer of the sick, feeder of thousands, resurrector of the dead, sight giver to the blind, demon defeater, water walking, freedom giver, culture disrupting, table turning, bread breaking, friend loving, discipleship making, Jesus said, what I've done, you'll do more. His CV is fairly impressive. And at the bottom of it, it says, and you can do this and more. How? How do we get there? In the rush of life, the wilderness, the wasteland, we need to find ourselves practically rooted back in the Bible. 
The irony is not lost on me that I probably spend 90% of my time engaging in my Bible on technology. But we need to root ourselves back in the Bible. We need to be looking at the way Jesus did life. We need to continue to be the light in the darkness that we were challenged to be. I want us to look at this idea of following Jesus' example of solitude. This idea of reconnecting with God. Simply put, a moment of intentional time in the quiet to spend with God, to clear the noise, clear the distractions. I personally believe this is the first step to living life well. To find that reconnection So we look at that first account that David read for us in Luke 4. We'll then have a quick look at Matthew 14. They hit on this point of solitude, this idea that actually there is a huge amount going on around us. And as I said, when the dust settles, we will find that there is just a wasteland and a wilderness unless we are rooted in something bigger, unless we are connected to God. Jesus knew the importance of disconnecting from the world. He knew how important it was to step away. There weren't phones, YouTube, headphones, 24-hour news cycles. But yet we see Jesus has his own distractions, his own things going on. In that Luke passage we heard, Jesus is hard at work, healing, engaging with people, sharing freeing people from demons, doing amazing things in the midst of all of this goodness, all of the things that are right. We read this line. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Maybe a whole night session of Jesus healing was enough for everybody. Maybe school run had started, Breakfast needed to be prepared. Shops needed to be open. There's a chance that we can read that as the conclusion of what Jesus was doing in that place. Verse 42. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. If you're a note-taker... This is kind of a bold, underlined highlighter. Get your phones out. Make a note of it. Jesus walked away from a good thing. Jesus walked away from a good thing. Healing, releasing, evangelizing, loving. And Jesus walked away. Why? To find a solitary to find quiet, to reconnect his relationship with the Father. The importance of solitude is such that in the midst of something good, in the midst of a three-year ministry, Jesus knew to walk away. So if we fail to craft our own solitude, our own times with God, everything that's going on around us will drive us 
will force us, will push us towards that word we first engage, engage with, to who, abahu, a wild wilderness. If we do not connect in with God, the world will get wilder and the wilderness will grow and we will be more disconnected than ever. In Luke 5, we cover this. News about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus knew the importance of the source. Everything he did was sourced. That relationship that was there in the beginning in Genesis, exampled through Jesus. We can get so connected to the world that we lose our connection to God. For those of you who use Netflix, I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this. We begin watching a Netflix series for the others of you. could be Coronation Street, Emmerdale, other programs that are still on TV. Everyone else is watching it, so we watch it. We need to catch up, so we binge. I don't know if there is a more applicable word than binge-watching in this generation. So we binge-watch. We watch episode after episode. We end up going to bed late, snooze the alarm twice in the morning, end up rushing to work with no breakfast. Because we didn't prepare lunch, we now have a mad rush to the shop to buy ourselves some food, missing out on any dialogue that was happening during the lunch hour. On our way home, catch up on Facebook, reply to a few messages, ready to settle down for the next binge session of TV. We are more connected to the world than we've ever been and run the risk of being more disconnected from God than we've ever been. I want you to ask yourself this question, and please do, I'm not going to ask people for answers. Do I, personally, this is a question for each of us, do I check Facebook? Do I check the rugby scores? My emails? Text messages? Terrifyingly in March, the weather forecasts? More frequently than I check in with God. If you can fill that answer with anything, any of the things I mentioned, or anything else on your list. It could be the most honorable thing in the world. I help old ladies cross the road more often than I check in with God. I feed more homeless than I check in with God. If there is anything that you can put in that blank, we have a problem. We have a huge, huge problem. And the reason I can say that with such confidence is because people came to hear him, and he healed them of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Healing is good. Being with people is good. Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God closer and closer. And yet still, he would often withdraw and pray. Jesus knew the importance of moving away from the hustle and bustle of life to spend time with God without distraction. This message was meant to be last week, but it seems appropriate. It comes on a week when we've advertised having a prayer space in the church. That genuinely wasn't planned. 
but maybe the snow was. There is an opportunity to do this. As I come into close, I want us to consider this, though. Should we only ever find solitude as a reaction if this morning you're going, oh, man, I do definitely check my phone all the time. Or I really need to know what the weather's doing every minute of the day. Should we only ever come to God in that solitude and reaction? I'd hope most of us are aware where this is going. Matthew 14. When they landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Jesus was being Jesus-like. He saw a need, he saw a situation to step into, and he responded. He brought provision, he showed miraculous signs. God's love was clearly visible. So many of us know that story. So many of us have heard it so many times. I'm sure many of us have stood in churches where there has been five loaves and then two substitutes for fish because no one really wants two fish in the church service for the whole morning. But we've acted it out. We've engaged with it. But I wonder how many of you noticed that that section, how many of you know that section doesn't start where I began? The headings in your Bible don't begin at the line I read when Jesus landed. Instead, they begin in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowd followed him on foot from the town. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a private, solitary place. Before the feeding of 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, Jesus had spent time alone with God. If ever there was an example of us realizing that it is crucial for us to be connected into God, it is this. Jesus said the words, see what I've done, you can do it, and more. How? His example was this, to find solitude, spend time with God, and then be present. Be fully present. So the challenge is this, in the good days, when everything's flying, we tend to run out of time. And in the bad days, sometimes we don't want to get out of bed. On those sofa days, when all we want to do is watch Netflix, and those days in between when we've got a to-do list the length of our arm, it is always the right day to make space for God. It's always going to be a good idea. Because I believe the reason that we so often see what's coming ahead of us is because we don't leave room for the unexpected anymore. Because we're not connecting into the source. We're not building that relationship with God. We find ourselves in a wilderness and a wasteland. 
rather in that fruitful, blooming Eden that God destined for us. Starting from a place of solitude and silence with God. Starting with that commitment to be with him. Again, I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands, but how many of us, when we wake up, the first thing we do is go to our phones? Maybe to check Facebook. For those of us engaged in the cricket, to find out what scandal has hit Australia while we've been asleep. Maybe the first thing we need to do is know the weather. For some of us, we need to check that immaculately organized Google Calendar to see what our day holds. But for how many of us is the first thing we do to connect back into the world? Because it is crucial we do not miss the viral video of a cat wearing a dress doing a dance. Because that's the truth of it. That's what we can find ourselves watching first thing in the morning. Because someone posted it. If you have time to do that, you have time to connect in with God. You have time. Life is busy. I get that. But I know. I look at my day. I have the wonderful gift of procrastinating. If I can procrastinate, I can connect to God. If I can check the news, I can connect to God. As I said, when the dust settles, I want to find myself in a relationship with Jesus. I want it to be a blooming and blossoming garden. I don't want a wasteland. I'm tired of the same old, same old of assuming that this is my lot. I want to engage with the creator God whose command was to go forward and to be creative. To create culture. To spread the message of his good news to those that haven't heard it. So I want to encourage you this morning to make a commitment to yourselves now. To say, you know what, I want to try and break this pattern I'm in. I want to start reconnecting into God. For some of you, you've got it. Please, be confident to share it. If you've mastered the art of just taking time, then don't be ashamed to share it because we need to get back there. We need to find that connection with God again. If Jesus, the Son of God, took time out from good things to reconnect... How important is it for us? Jesus knew that his relationship with God was his anchor. And from that source, everything else poured out.